Greetings, my friends. This is Dr. Gracie Poso Christi from the Catholic Association, and you're listening to Conversations with Consequences. I'm in studio today in D.C., and if you're listening to this on the radio, you're listening on the Guadalupe Radio Network. If not, you're listening to our podcast. If you've come across our podcast by chance, then do subscribe at uh, the link that will be provided at the bottom of the podcast. Today, I am joined in studio very happily by Maureen Ferguson, my colleague at the Catholic Association, and Andrea Picci-Adi Bayer, also my colleague. Good morning, Maureen and Andrea. Good morning, Gracie. Good morning. Great to be on. It's so nice to be in the same room with you guys. Usually we do things remotely because I'm usually down in Miami, and um, it happens. We have a very wonderful guest that happens to be a personal friend of all three of us, Father Benedict Kiley. And he's been with me. He's visited me in Miami a couple times, visited my family. And one time, I know we all have great stories about Father Father Ben, who gets around and knows everybody and is a wonderful house guest. Because he'll, he'll do a private mass in your dining room if, if you are very, very good. And um, one time I left him out in the, in the garden. I did warn him, but when I came back, he was absolutely bright red, like, like a... That happens to the Brits, Yes. Right? They have a like a deficiency of melatonin. Yeah, so our listeners haven't heard his melanin. accent, but melanin, melanin. melanin. Is so it the melanin? melanin. So the our melatonin listeners have what makes you sleep. Yes, is that right? Okay. So our listeners haven't heard his accent, but when they do, they'll understand why ten minutes in the garden burnt him to a crisp. That's right, and um, this is Maureen here. We spent um, we spent a delightful morning with Father Ben recently in his home city of Canterbury in England. I have a son who's uh, a student at Notre Dame, and he was doing his semester abroad in London. We went over to visit him, and Father Ben was kind enough to show us all around Canterbury. And we just, um, oh gosh, it was so fascinating to have an insider's view. We saw the spot in the cathedral where St. Thomas of Becket was murdered. Uh, we saw the ruins of St. Augustine's Abbey from, I think, the 5th century. Incredible. And, um, and also the little church where St. Thomas More's head is buried. Goodness gracious. Um, so we had a fascinating, uh, but it was cold and blustery in Canterbury. No, no sunburn that day for anybody. <laughs> so it was a normal day in England. That's why Father Ben, when he sits out in the garden in Florida, doesn't understand the power of the sun because he doesn't get to see it that often. Well, this is Andrea. I do my part in making sure that Father Ben stays true to his vocation as a Catholic priest because every time he comes to visit my family, he leaves thinking completely committed to celibate life. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you Andrea, know, has a, to... Andrea has a house full of many precious children. No, and the, I, was, I think I had the last visit of Father Ben, and um, seven of my ten kids were there clinging on on him and on his purple suspenders, uh, <laughs> which even even though we're out of the Lenten season, he still is there morning, I guess, when he comes to my house. And he came up with this brilliant, because everything that the Brits do is brilliant, uh, brilliant idea of switching the remote control on children. So when somebody was off topic and wanted to get back to a different topic, he said, okay, now we're switching to the Ten Commandments channel. <laughs> and Veronica, my seven-year-old, would recite, because she's preparing for her First Communion, her knowledge of the Ten Commandments. And then we would switch to the track channel. And Alvaro would remark on how he's getting ready to run his final races in high school. Well, Andrea, your children are very charming, so I don't think that Father Ben left saying to himself, thank God I don't have a bunch of children. I he think left. he just left tired. He just was tired. <laughs> <laughs> but they Father all ben. love Father Ben in spite of his inability to say simple words like tomato. Tomato? How does he say I do not understand that. How he says it? Tomo tomato. 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 Well, I can't say lots of things. So anyway, we should... Because we have Father Ben here, as we speak about him, like he's our <laughs> just our personal friend. Father Ben is more than just our personal friend. He is here joining us in studio and uh, taking time out of his very busy life. He is he works mostly in advocacy uh, for the persecuted Christians and mainly in the Middle East. But I'm going to let uh, him tell us about that very important topic. Hi, Father Ben. Hi, Gracie. Thank you so much, ladies. It's such a joy to be 
teased on air. Um, <laughs> I can tell Andrea that I actually did leave exhausted. Uh, yes, committed to celibacy, uh, <laughs> profoundly committed and exhausted. It's, uh, but it was very sweet. It's wonderful to have be in Catholic families, and that's one of the beautiful things about being a priest. And and we know what we've been through as priests and in the church, but. The beautiful thing is that a priest is is really part of the family, and he should be part of the family. The the, the parishioners, etc., are are really his his family. And so, despite all the bad things that have happened, it's it's a joy to always be welcomed into a Catholic family and to have that sense of trust from parents and children. So, despite all of your many many problems, all of you and your families and your very difficult children who I've met, uh, you're, you're, you're wonderful. He's not talking about my children. You're wonderful no, people. No, it's, it's a great joy, and thank you for having me on. So yes, you all know. Um, do you want me to just sort of basically explain what, how I got to where I am, or, or, or? Yeah, tell us about your background. Well, because I was. You uh, bounced around a little bit because you're bounced here in DC right now, but this is not yeah. where you started. You, all our no. listeners can hear from your accent. Yes, exactly. I'm an Englishman, even though I look like an Irishman. It's very complicated. I'm an Englishman. Uh, I was ordained in Canterbury, England, in the Church of St. Thomas of Canterbury, which I took Maureen and her family into. Um, I was a priest five years in, in London, in England, and then I came over to the state of Vermont, uh, and I was a priest, parish priest in Vermont for 17 years. But in about 2014, as we know, um, ISIS was sweeping across uh, Syria and Iraq, and I just was so profoundly moved by this thought that in the city of Mosul, which is Nineveh, for all our listeners, Nineveh, which we hear about in the scriptures where the prophet Jonah preached, uh, I've seen his tomb, which ISIS blew up. Nineveh uh, is Mosul, which we hear about in the news. I was so shocked to hear that in 2014, August, that there was no mass for the first time in 2,000 years. And so I was just, we have to do something. So to cut a very long story short, I started a little charity called Nazarene.org because Christians are marked with the Arabic N, which kind of looks like a smiley face except with one dot. That's the Arabic N, the Nun. And Christian houses were marked with that sign to say, Christians live here, they need to get out or they need to be killed. So we started using that sign as a sign of solidarity with lapel pins and uh, zipper pulls and all kinds of things, magnets, car magnets. And it grew and grew and grew. And I just basically felt the call as a priest to devote my priestly life to speaking, advocating, helping the persecuted all over the world because we have a genocide now against Christians mm -hmm. throughout the world. So my bishop released me three years ago and I returned to England but constantly coming back and forth to the U.S. to speak and preach and, and also go to Iraq multiple times. So uh, that's where I'm at now and I'm back in D.C. Doing, doing that and being with you kindly uh, letting me have a few words as well. Father Ben, it's, it's quite beautiful that you took a, a symbol that was used to exclude and that was pejorative, and you turned it around um, to bring and to, to call attention to what these beautiful Christian brothers and sisters are suffering. Well, it's a bit like the cross, because originally Christians were not happy with this sign being used. In fact, I've, some still aren't. I've been told this is, this is pejorative, exactly. But the first person to wear the nun, the Arabic N, you can all look it up, was actually a Muslim newsreader in Lebanon. She wore it on a T-shirt as a sign of solidarity. So anyone can wear it. I've given my pin to uh, Jews, to atheists. Um, I'm not sure if I've given it to any Muslims, but that's the whole point. A sign like the cross, which is horrible, then becomes a sign of hope and solidarity. So, uh, yeah, that was the whole point, really. That's beautiful. One thing that, that strikes me, Father, and, and so Father Ben, a couple, I think it was three years ago, two or three years ago, came down to Miami to our parish and gave a talk on, just on this subject, and it was very moving. He left a lot of, uh, a lot of interested uh, people, a lot of uh, touched hearts uh, thinking for the first time, a lot of people thinking for the very first time about Christian persecution because it's not really addressed in the news very often, and when it is, it's, it's, it's uh, skirted around or you know, there, not a lot of time is spent and one of the things that, that came to people's attention, and they mentioned it to me later, that they didn't realize that Christianity had, was uh, indigenous to the region. It started there and it never left. I think many people have this idea that Christianity is um, an, invas an invasive part uh, invaded into that, into that region. Yeah, I mean, 
that's a historical problem if people think that as though we in the West brought Christianity to <laughs> to the East. It's the exact opposite. I mean, um, my beautiful friend, uh, the Archbishop of Aleppo, uh, who stayed through bombing. I once asked him how close ISIS was to him, and he said 300 yards. He okay. stayed there the whole five years while it was Goodness. being bombed. He said, we're the people of Pentecost. You know that beautiful reading on Pentecost Sunday when so often our beautiful um, lectors, our readers, make a wonderful mess of it with all that list of Medes and Elamites and Persians and everything. <laughs> he said, that's us. Remember, Paul was on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians. People always forget this. That means Christians were there already, just after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So they are indigenous. They are the true people, actually, of the Middle East. Islam came 600 years later. Mm -hmm. um, and that's uh, Americans in particular need to know that because uh, when, the, when Christianity disappears from the Middle East, and I say when because it's very possible, what will that mean to us that the, the very cradle of Christianity will have been emptied of Christians. So that's why we must care, we must pray, we must care, and we must take action. So in all these many hundreds of years since Islam uh, was born in, in that same place, do you, find, do you think that the persecution is as bad as it's ever been, or it's much worse or less? Pope Francis has said that it's, it's as bad as it's been since the first three centuries. Um, in some ways, it's worse, because, of course, there are more Christians. And it's worldwide. The British government just did a report. The British Foreign Office just did a report on its response to uh, persecution of Christians. That report just came out. Uh, I gave evidence to it a few weeks ago. And they concluded there is a worldwide genocide. And they use the word genocide against Christians. You could basically pick almost any country in the world today, and you will find that Christians are being persecuted. I mean, I can give you... In this last week, we've heard in Burkina Faso, a priest and his people killed. We've heard, of course, of Sri Lanka. We've heard of uh, India, literally, Nigeria. There's a holocaust almost going on in Nigeria against Christians. In the same week that the attack on the mosque happened in Christchurch, New Zealand, and we know 50 people, I believe, were killed, which was awful, in that same week, 200 Nigerian Christians were killed. Oh. But we didn't hear about that in the news at all. It's almost bizarrely as though there's a, a news blackout of Christians. Father Ben, um, this is Andrea. I, I think one of the things that uh, we're so happy that you're here to speak with us and to speak with our listeners is that you, in particular, have firsthand knowledge of the, f the plight of, of Christians in Iraq and, and because you've gone. And many of us will never have the opportunity or never get the chance to go to Iraq. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about your trips and what you saw and what was surprising and shocking to you. Well, if you told me five years ago as well that, A, I would have gone to Iraq once, let alone six times, <laughs> yeah, I'd have said you're nuts. I mean, why would I want to go to Iraq? Um, as I told you at the beginning, it was because of that call. So I went first in May of 2015. That was only seven, eight, nine months after ISIS had taken the whole Christian area of the Nineveh Plain. So there were 120,000 Christians all stuffed into Erbil, the capital of Iraqi Kurdistan, living, initially they were living on the streets, quite literally. Imagine if 120,000 people came into your home city or town and had to be catered for by the local church, four or five parishes. Uh, then they got into tents, and then why, by the time I arrived, most of them were in what they called containers, which were literally containers, shipping containers, mm. basically. People, families living in a container. Remember, it gets to 120 degrees as well in, in Iraq oh, in the summer. So it's an oven. It's not a container, it was, it's an oven. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they called them, they did, they called them coffins. Oh. That's what the Iraqis were calling them. And the interesting thing in that first year as well, there were no babies, hardly any babies born. No. Because think about it, you're in the same caravan, they called them caravans or containers. You're in the same caravan or container with your not just your husband and children, but your grandparents and everyone else. So there's no possibility of intimacy. And so it was uh, really a, a powerful experience. But to see the faith, as each time I've gone, to see the growing, strengthening faith of these people who gave everything for their faith, including their wedding rings. Well, Father, we yeah. want to hear more about the faith of these persecuted Christians, and we will as soon as we come back from this break. Mm -hmm. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Consequences from the Catholic Association. I'm Dr. Gracie Pozo Christi, and I'm joined in studio today by Maureen Ferguson and Andrea Picciari Bayer, my colleagues at the Catholic Association, and by our mute, our friend. The three of us have a great friend and father. Ben Kylie, Father Benedict Kylie, who is an advocate for the persecuted persecuted Christians of the Middle East, and he was just telling us before the break about his trip to Iraq. I think he's had six trips to Iraq and the faith of the persecuted Christians, which I'm very interested in hearing about, Father. Well, if you think of being driven out of your home, and also they're just like us. Sometimes we can think of refugees. Perhaps we think of people right. living in very simple circumstances. These are people who were university lecturers, doctors, lawyers, etc., etc., and leaving everything, literally with the clothes they had on, uh, and sometimes, in fact, having their wedding rings taken off. I heard a story of ISIS taking the rings off people as they left, leaving everything, and then just because of your faith. There was no other reason. It was because they were Christians. Otherwise, they would be killed. Uh, well, they would be killed, simple as that. So that, if that doesn't inspire you or give you strength, nothing will. Um, but also I saw how over the years they became quite disappointed with the reaction of the West. We were saying earlier on in the, in the interview about why this doesn't seem to be newsworthy. Um, and that was a real problem, that they think they feel forgotten, they feel abandoned. That's fair. And, and why is that? On, on the one hand, our, you know, we're here in Washington. The current administration has, has spoken a good bit about this. I know Vice President Pence just recently in a commencement address spoke about this very issue. He also addressed the situation domestically. But why, why is it so ignored? We, we have a good, very good Jewish friend of ours who years ago said, why are you all not speaking up for your people? Why is there such silence? He could not understand the silence in the Catholic community. And on the one hand, we've heard more about it, but still, once ISIS has gotten out of the headlines, we don't hear too much anymore. I've heard that multiple times from the Jewish community, from major figures in the Jewish community, basically saying, if this was us, we'd be beating down the doors of the White House. There'd be huge coverage. Uh, I think I have to be non-politically correct and tell that one must speak the truth in love and say it is a problem with with the church. Uh, it is a problem with some of the leadership in the church that they haven't been highlighting this. There are other issues that apparently seem important. But also, as, as Gracie was saying when I spoke in her parish in Miami, but also other places I've been to, the ordinary parishes, it's not their fault. They, they feel they just don't know. And if they don't know via their priests or their bishops, uh, they're also not being told by the media. The media, I think, there's, a, there's another issue, and it's uh, one has to be blunt. In most of the newsrooms of the, well, the United States, but also Europe, uh, Christians are not number one favorites. I mean, one has to be brutally honest and say, with the secularist mindset, sometimes, uh, whether it's deliberate or not, Christians being persecuted just don't rate. It's just not important. And in fact, sometimes I think people think they almost deserve it. Father, I um, have a, a thought. One is, I think, um, I will confess incredible ignorance um, on both kind of the, the tensions in the Middle East and um, my attention towards the fate of Christians in Iraq. Uh, I know that we've been paying attention to the news. Many Americans have. We've been watching, you know, the ISIS dri driven out. And so is, aren't we done? Mm -hmm. Aren't people able to just go back home and, and, and be very content with the fact that, it, like Maureen mentioned, the administration is, is concerned for the, the plight of persecuted Christians and other religious and ethnic minorities? But then I found out just a few weeks uh, ago that there's a new threat. Uh, to uh, Christians in Iraq, and that's uh, other militant groups uh, that are being sponsored by Iran. And I was wondering, especially in light of the State Department's issuing uh, heightened travel warnings, uh, advising Americans not to go to Iraq, and pulling uh, non-emergency employees from the embassy, who's going to be paying attention to what's going on if we're not there? Well, 
usually people don't go to Iraq as tourists. I remember the first time I booked my ticket with my travel agent in England, I said, I need a flight to Erbil, Iraq. She said, ooh. She hadn't heard that one before. So <laughs> there aren't too many people going as or tourists. Cancun. Yeah, <laughs> not Cancun. Um, but uh, yeah, these are all very important. But first, it's very important to get the actual facts that ISIS is not defeated. The caliphate, the physical territory, has been uh, removed almost, not totally. ISIS, the fighters are still there, thousands of fighters. They've, a lot of them have gone underground. Some of them have shaved their beards off. I, I, I've told this story before a few times, but when I was in the old city of Mosul in 2017, probably the first Western priest to get in there with our colleague, actually, Edward Penton, from the National Catholic Register, we were walking around through this ruined city with security guards, and Edward said to me, that's hair, human hair on the floor. And I said, no, it isn't, Edward. It's carpet or something. Then we went into another place, and it was. It was clumps of hair, human hair. It was the beards oh, no. of ISIS fighters. They'd shaved their beards so off they could so they could hide. So that's very important for the listeners to know. When you hear ISIS has been defeated, ISIS is A, not defeated, and B, there'll, there'll be another ISIS. There's a baby ISIS. There's, it'll have a different... Al-Qaeda had a a baby. Uh, each, it's a constant ideology of hatred. Secondly, yes, this new threat, um, well, first I should go back to Maureen's point. We're very grateful, we're blessed that the Trump administration has shifted focus. I mean, under the Obama administration, the Christians really were abandoned. There's no two ways of, uh, of putting it. There's been a heightened focus, there's been much better talk, and there has been some action. However, not enough, not enough by a long shot particularly, for example, the issue of allowing persecuted Christians, persecuted victims, or religious minorities for immigration into this country. They're victims of genocide. Why would we not give them preferential status? That's a big issue. But secondly, as Andrea brought up, now, yes, the Shia militias who are actually running security in the Nineveh plain are, because of the heightened tensions with, Ira with Iran, and Iran really controls Iraq. That's the reality. It's a proxy. Uh, they are now persecuting slowly but surely the Christians again. The priest friend of mine in um, in Bartella, the town of Bartella in, in Iraq, which I've been to several times, he was threatened last week. I spoke to him on the phone. He was threatened uh, with death. Uh, an old, two old ladies were severely beaten up the other day in that town. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. I saw it's pictures of pictures that on your Twitter them. feed. Yeah. Oh, you all, all our listeners have to follow Father on Twitter. Thank you. <laughs> What's Thank your Twitter you. handle, Father? It's Benedict, my name, Benedict, then a, a lower dash, whatever it's called, that lower dash. Underscore. Underscore. See, that's a different Same English word. Uh, underscore, Benedict <laughs> underscore Keeley, K-I-E-L-Y. You know, I mentioned, I mentioned this about Twitter because sometimes that's the only place and uh, you can find news about these these atrocities that are going on in, in because they're just not covered in the media. You're right. The media is very callous about this they're they're not uh, i guess christians persecuted christians are not their they're the underdogs of choice for the media well there's because of the current ideology as well sometimes because of christian teaching for example on human sexuality which is a big issue for all of you ladies i know uh, how we have to hold up the the ideals christians sometimes are seen as a as the enemy and so if christians are being persecuted well that's okay you know they they're bigots they're against homosexuals, they're against this or that, or which of course are not. We love everybody, but we teach the truth in love. So Christians deserve it. Father, um, f you mentioned before about trying to ease uh, visa requirements so that people who want to leave can leave and find a safe place to start over. A few weeks ago, I had a chance to speak with some young Catholic university students in Iraq and they want to stay. Uh, they want to go back to their small, formerly predominantly Christian towns and stay and rebuild. What do they need and how can we help? Well, there's no contradiction. I've always said my mantra has been help those who want to stay to stay, help those who want to leave to leave. There's no contradiction in that. Uh, yes, they, well, two very, very simple things. One, we can do, our listeners can do by lobbying their congressmen and women. 
is security. Obviously, they need security, and it's very, very shaky, as I said, at the moment. But the second thing is very simple, is jobs. You won't stay if you don't have a job. And so, for example, my little charity, Nazarene.org, I'll give it a quick plug. Um, it's very small, very, <laughs> very teeny-weeny. We're just a little cog. But, for example, that's what when our, our focus is to help families, individual families, have a job, a little mi mini microfinancing. So, for example, I'll give you a beautiful story, very recent. I was there in January in this town of Bartella, and I said to the parish priest, great man, holy man, uh, in danger, as I said, I, uh, I said to him, Father, can you find us two families that we can support? Just just two, very small. Uh, we'll give probably about $5,000 each, which you can do a startup in Iraq. It's amazing. You can do a startup business for $5,000. Sure. Two families. So one, he said, yeah, there's one I really want you to help, a husband and wife and their severely epileptic son living in one room. And he had a taxi business, but his taxi was so old <laughs> and the air conditioning was broken. Imagine again in a 120 degrees. So oh. no one took his taxi. Oh. So we bought him. If you go on the website, you'll see it's a beautiful picture. He's got his second hand, but lovely looking new Hyundai taxi. And now this man can support his family and stay. So it's very, very simple. It's small as beautiful. Just Father, helping. this is the kind of charities that people like to donate they to. They do, because they know it's not going to go, you know, I'm not um, living in, uh, I don't usually want to come to D.C., stay in the Trump uh, <laughs> Trump Hotel, and, uh, and I stay with Miami, friends. And when you're in Miami, you stay yeah. in my, my little daughter's twin bed. I stay in the, <laughs> in the Christie Hotel. And despite and invitations, you've never accepted one. Well, that's just too many children running around. <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it goes, it's, it is a beautiful thing to go to. You can literally almost follow the money. And that's one of the reasons I went to Iraq the first time, is to make sure the money yeah. is getting to the people. So as I said, we're very, very small, but... You can see the pictures of the individual families we're helping, and, and it's such a joy to see something so simple. But because that's one of the big problems, right? All this aid money hasn't been getting to the people that need it. All the governmental aid has not been actually getting to the people. So that's why we need these private charities like yours to be kind of boots on the ground and doing these you know, specific things. For our listeners, could you spell the name of your website? Because it's a tricky right. spelling. It is tricky. The, the reason make sure people can find it. The reason it's tricky is because we had um, uh, we we, di we didn't have the web domain for an another spelling. But it's nazarene.org. N a s a r e a n dot org, and it comes from this Nazarani Nazarene, which is what uh, the Muslims call Christians, the Nazaranis. Um, so it's n a s a r e a n dot org. What in the la in the news in the last couple of weeks we've seen ho horrible stories coming out of Burkina Faso and Sri Lanka. Obviously, these are geographically separate from the Middle East. What you're what you're talking to us about, but is it is it really separate? Is it a separate no. story or is it the no. same story? They're ISIS affiliates. This is this is the point. The ideology, and we have to be very brutally frank again. Tell the truth in love. Is Islam a religion of peace or a re religion of war? One of the great experts in the world on Islam is a wonderful old uh, Egyptian Coptic Catholic priest, Father Samir Khalil Samir, and he said both. It's a choice. Relig Islam can be a religion of peace or a religion of war. And unfortunately for a lot of people at the moment, they're choosing it to be a religion of war. So all over the world, in England... When I came back from Iraq one time a couple of years ago with my friend Edward Penton, the Westminster Bridge attack occurred in London. That's right. And this was a day after we'd got back from Mosul, and we both said to each other, we were safer in Mosul than in <laughs> London, you know. So this is a worldwide ideology of hate. We do not hate Islam, and we can live in peace with our brothers and sisters of Islam. The question is, why do some people who follow Islam not believe they can live in peace with us? And do you, do you have the answer to that question? Um, Islam needs a reform, and this is part of the problem, that because they believe the Quran is dictated by God and cannot be changed, there are many good Muslims working on this, but they're seen almost as apostates as well. So it's, it's, it's really a, a problem of Islam itself that it has to work out before they can get into a dialogue, as it were, with us. Uh, Interreligious dialogue is great, but you've got to have some common ground. And in the meantime, we 
are listening to these terrible stories, I mean, they, they're heartbreaking. That, There's uh, nowhere safe. It's, it's I had to stop scary. watching. I was I, I watched a little bit of the Sri Lanka, mm. and I had to stop because it was it was terrifying to me. But to again, think, think about that. People are still going to mass yeah. on Sunday in fear that they may be killed, but they go to Mass. We say, oh, I can't go. It's the 11.15. I want to go to the 11 o'clock Mass or something. No, that's a or, great point, Or, you know, point, I need to go Father. to sports this morning. I'm going to miss Mass that's today. That's a great point. Uh, really? Okay. No, here in the United States, I was just reading the statistics this morning. There's a 20 to 25% Sunday Mass attendance rate amongst people who identify themselves as Catholic. People who say, I am Catholic, about 20, 25% of them go to weekly Mass. And often when I'm sitting in Mass, and I'm sure all of you can uh, sympathize with this, you, I, I'm overwhelmed by the, the privilege that I have that I can go to Mass every day, uh, several times on Sunday. There's several options. And, then, and I'm not running any risks. I'm not putting my life in danger. In, in addition to just kind of the lukewarmness, I guess, the laziness that's typical um, of Americans, one thing that I was struck by in, in speaking with some of the younger um, Iraqi Christians is the capacity to forgive. And I was wondering, I know um, in our conversations before, Father Ben, you've spoken about people that you met and uh, the kind of greatness of their hearts and their ability to forgive people who persecuted them and people who are still there kind of all ready to continue doing so. Um, and that's one of the blessings of Christianity. But I was wondering if you maybe you could talk a little bit about what you encountered and the kind of living the spirit of forgiveness among those who have suffered atrocities that we can't even comprehend here. Well, I've got two stories. One might be slightly not what you're expecting, but I kind of love it. But I'll tell you that a second one. Uh, the first one is, is a beautiful story. My friend Johanna, who's guided me every time. Johanna's John, of course. So when imagine, again, they speak Aramaic, remember. The listeners perhaps oh, might forget that. They right. speak Aramaic conversationally, the language of Christ. What does that when you're sound hearing, like? Is it beautiful? Well, Johanna. Like, it sounds like the passion of Christ, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. That the, exactly. Mel Gibson used them speaking Aramaic. Right. And it's incredible to see people speaking the language of Jesus not in the liturgy, but conversationally. So my friend Johanna is John. When Jesus would have said John's name, he would have called him Johanna. Oh. So Johanna wow. uh, went to Mosul while the fighting was still going on with Christians uh, just outside the city bringing food. And he told me some Muslims came up to him and said, why are you helping us? We persecuted you. And he said, because we're Christians. I mean, that's beautiful, hmm. isn't it? That's beautiful. Wow. But the second story, I have to say I love it. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not, as I told you, politically correct. I'm, well, I'm also not politically <laughs> He's correct. Not. He's not politically um, correct. I test. So one of these old ladies was actually left behind in one of the towns, the town of Karamlesh. ISIS came in, and for some reason, these poor two old ladies were left in their bed sleeping. So they woke up the next morning, and there's ISIS, and these oh, guys no. with beards come into their room. So this is true. I've sat next to this lady. She oh, told me goodness. the story. So these big guys with beards come in, and they say, renounce... Jesus Christ. And she said, no. She pointed to the picture of Our Lady on the wall, said, I, I love the Virgin. I've, I'm not going to. I'm, I'm 80. I'm, I'll be dead soon. So Isis didn't know what to do. They walked out. The next day, another guy came in with an even bigger beard, the commander, <laughs> and said, renounce Jesus Christ. She said, no. So actually, they let her go. It's incredible. They didn't know what to do hmm. with her. That's fake. So I <laughs> said to her, but now here's the, here's the bit I like in the story. Sorry. Um, so I was with my friend Edward again. He's a very gentle interviewer. If listeners ever see him on EWTN, he interviews very gently. So he said, um, well, and how do you feel now about ISIS? Um, how do you, what, what do you think should happen to them? She said, they should be dragged through the streets in chains by a vehicle. And poor Edward was very <laughs> oh my shocked. Goodness. But I thought, good for you, lady. You know, uh, sorry, that wasn't forgiveness. But your she, theory, you know, your theory is all shot under. Well, no, it's not one a of the, actually, one one <laughs> of the girls that I spoke to said, um, "I don't think I can forgive, but I have to pretend that I have, well, so that the younger people will learn that they must." We know in our own lives, every one of us, in all our situations, has a struggle to forgive. Hmm. We do the work. We try to forgive. And the Lord understands that. However, this is an important, I mean, that was a kind of a joke, but true. Um, there must be punishment. Justice must be done. Yes, there must this be is done. part of the problem that ISIS fighters are coming out, for example, to Europe. 
with no punishment. Mm-hmm. That's a gr- apart from the danger. That's that's not just. We believe in justice as Catholics as well, and there must be proper punishment for their crimes. Yeah, well, they they certainly have earned the punishment that it'll be coming to them, I suppose, Father. Please right? God. You can you can tell oh us yeah. if not in this world, then in the next. Oh yes, there will be a divine judgment for sure. Father, we're wondering here in studio, and I know that our listeners are wondering, what can we do? What can we do? We we are faced with this terrible truth of Christian persecution. What? Well, obviously, we support charities. Not just plugging my own. There are many <laughs> wonderful, wonderful charities. Nazarene with an S. Nazarene.org. But we support uh, with our, we, we lobby. Again, as I said, you can lobby your congressmen and women, uh, ask them why, what they are doing for the persecuted. But most importantly of all, it's not a last resort, it's a first resort. Pray. Don't just pray once a week. Don't just pray once every few weeks in the Mass. Pray every day. Offer your rosary. Offer a Hail Mary for the persecuted Christians for the rest of your lives. Well, there are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Exactly. And I love to think of them speaking in the words of our Master in, in the same language. What a wonderful thing to think about. So we will be praying for them, Father. Thank and you. we'll also be praying for you. Thank that you. If Thank and you. when you go back to Iraq, that you go there in safety and that and that your work with Nazarene, with an S, dot O-R-G, uh, continues to increase and give good fruit. Thank you for your time, ladies. Thank you, Father. Every morning, the Catholic Association reviews all the latest news and sends our subscribers a carefully curated collection of the most important news of the day. Items are specifically selected for a smart Catholic audience. Don't let the world take you by surprise. Subscribe to our daily media roundup at thecatholicassociation.org. I've picked out three articles from this week's clips. The first one is from the Washington Post. It's titled, Democratic-Led States Sue Over Trump Administration's Conscience Rule. It was published on May 22nd, and it tells us about the fact that a group of mostly Democratic states have filed lawsuits against the Trump administration, challenging the new federal rule that gives healthcare providers, insurers, and employers greater latitude to refuse to provide or pay for medical services that they say violate their religious or moral beliefs. So in fact, several states are suing the Trump administration, saying that these new rules that protect the rights of conscience of doctors, nurses, and 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 facilities, uh, they are wrong, they are unconstitutional, because it puts the religious liberty of healthcare workers over the rights of patients to receive care such, well, care is in quotation marks, right, to receive procedures or to obtain procedures such as abortion and assisted suicide, because these are the ones that um, people, doctors like me, other healthcare workers routinely do not wish to either perform themselves or refer out to another, to a different person who is willing to either kill their patients through abortion or help the patient kill themselves through assisted suicide. Other things that doctors don't like to be associated with are the these new treatments that are being offered for transgender for gender dysphoria. For instance, people who suffer from this disease are offered, even when they're children, um, hormonal and surgical alterations which have life consequences. And many doctors don't uh, feel that this is uh, these are medically necessary and in fact that these can damage their patients significantly. So these states, several states, are suing uh, Roger Severino, director of the New Conscience and Religious Freedom Division of the HHS. His response says his response is that the rule ensures that healthcare entities and professionals won't be bullied out of the healthcare field because they decline to participate in actions that violate their conscience, including the taking of human life. So that's that's happening. And read read about it for yourself. Uh, second article is, again from the Washington Post, this one is from Kathleen Parker, 
abortion extremism in New York and Virginia paved the way for Alabama and Georgia's laws. This was published on May 17th. Kathleen Parker makes an excellent point that people who are accusing Alabama and Georgia, the states of Alabama and Georgia, for passing what they're calling a heartbeat bill, saying that abortions are not allowed after the baby's heartbeat is detected, which is around six weeks, that these are crazy extremist propositions from these states. Uh, but she points out that the question of craziness depends on one's definition of crazy. Is This is, I'm quoting from her article, is Alabama crazier than New York, where some protections for babies born alive during an abortion were recently eliminated, making it easier to end their life if desired by the abortion seeker? So she makes a great point that um, these states, like Alabama and Georgia, with their very restrictive abortion laws, bless them, <laughs> that they have passed, are in response to the crazy radical abortion license being passed into law by states like Vermont and New York. Next article is from a friend of mine at Crux, writing for Crux. His name is Pablo K. He works for Angeles News, also the publication of the Archdiocese of LA, which happens to be excellent. I'm a regular, I'm a regular con contributor. Please check it out. Um, this one says, the LA Archbishop says, amended confession bill still targets priests, Catholic, and Catholic employees. So what's been going on in California, um, and sorry, this one is from May 20, May 21st. So, um, what's going on in California is that current California law requires clergy to report suspected abuse or neglect unless the information about the abuse was obtained during confession. So this is the usual, um, the usual ability of the priest to not have to say what the, the in, order, in other words, there is always, there has been a religious exemption for the seal of confession because the priest is not allowed to divulge what he hears in the confessional. But California is trying to pass a law that removes the seal of the confessional and makes priests uh, liable for anything they might hear in the confessional that they have to report it when it has to do with abuse. But uh, in his statement, Archbishop Gomez, he's the Archbishop of Los Angeles, said, I'm grateful that senators heard the voice of the Catholic people who understand that confession is a sacred space, an intimate dialogue between the believer and the living God. We know that no government, for whatever reason, should violate the privacy and confidentiality of that sacred conversation. He's responding to the fact that after a lot of complaints, the Senate in California amended the bill, which took away the privilege, this uh, seal of the confessional, and changed it to protecting the seal of the confessional except in cases where a priest is hearing another priest's confession or in cases where a priest is hearing the confession of a co-worker. Archbishop Gomez and I, less importantly, do still think that, this, that there shouldn't be any qualifiers put on the seal of the confessional. Imagine the challenges, the fake challenges, um, the setups that could happen, a person coming a stranger coming in and confessing a fake crime to test the priest's um, resolve, first of all, or his, or whether or not he's going to comply with the law. So this is an attack against Catholic values, obviously. And just quickly, because this is only probably important to me and no one else, is another article from Crux um, telling us about a project called Women's Rights Without Frontiers, Save a Widow. So in China, I have a daughter who was adopted from China, and in China there, there has been for many decades a one-child policy that has recently been converted, been converted to a two-child policy, in some cases, not in all cases. There are many childless uh, couples, or, uh, and, and once a widow, once a woman is childless in China, and she's widowed, she has no means of support, the state will give her a stipend of about $20, which is not enough. So there's a beautiful project called Save a Widow um, from an organization called Women's Rights Without Frontiers. And here, about 750, sorry, 590 women a day 
kill themselves in China, and many others attempt suicide. These are widows who have no means of sustenance, or who have some means, but they feel pressure from their family members for having to support them. So imagine either being child, a widow, being childless, or having a daughter, a single son, or a single daughter, um, and being a burden, a terrible burden on, on that person, and feeling the need to kill yourself because you are a burden and have no means of sustenance. So be, what a beautiful project, and that's also an article out of Crux. Um, so anyway, you can find the links to these articles on the podcast show notes of this show, and to subscribe to the podcast and the media clips, go to thecatholicassociation.org. This week, as is customary, Father Roger Landry gives us a short but brilliant homily on this coming Sunday's Gospel. Please stay tuned for Father Landry, and do look up his daily homily, written and audio, on his website, catholicpreaching.com. We come together once again to have a conversation with consequences directly with Jesus, who speaks to us in the Gospel this Sunday, just like he spoke to his first followers during the Last Supper. And what he speaks to us about this weekend are two extraordinarily important realities for human life, love and peace. Our hearts were made for love and peace and will remain restless until they have them. But love and peace aren't realities we can just wish into existence. No matter how many songs and poems we write about them or talk and dream about them, these realities can't be conjured or fabricated. We will not truly experience them until we follow the means Jesus describes in today's gospel. He was Prince of Peace and Love Personified, told us that the path to obtain love and peace is to keep his commandments. Today we'll examine why. Jesus tells us in the gospel, those who love him will keep his word, and the Father will love them, and they will come to them and make their home with them. Love isn't a feeling, Jesus says, but an action. It's to keep his word. Later, he says the same thing, saying, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. This link between love and the commandments is something that many in the world, even in the church, have forgotten. Because so often we look at the commandments as burdens, as onerous duties, rather than as a tremendous gift to help us grow in love. But unless we keep the commandments, we won't be loving God neighbor. Likewise, there's a similar link between keeping the Lord's commandments and genuine peace. Jesus says to us today, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives peace. Peace, Jesus came from heaven to earth to give and leave with us, is peace with God through the forgiveness of sins, because it's sin that alienates us from peace. This is a point that's less obvious than it should be. But just think what our world, from our families to our schools, to our communities, to our nation, to the international community, would be like if we all just minimally kept the Ten Commandments. Everyone would center his life or her life on God. People would come together to worship God. There'd be no swearing. Parents and children would honor each other. There'd be no hatred or murder, no broken families, no cheating, no robbery, no lying, no personal class envy. We know that that would be a world far more peaceful than this. John Lennon was exactly wrong about the path to peace. When he crooned, imagine there's no heaven No hell, no countries, no religion. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say, I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. Peace, he argued, would come when there's no God, no heaven, hell, no right or wrong, no ultimate justice or injustice, when there's no religion and no morality. Yes, indeed, we can all say that Lenin was a dreamer and that his dream would unintentionally provoke a nightmare as we saw in the communist countries of last century that sought to ban God. Religion, heaven, hell, obliterate national boundaries and more. In contrast to imagine, Jesus says to us today that if we want peace on earth, it will begin not with an imaginary utopia, but concretely with your and my keeping the commandments, following Jesus along the path of love and receiving his mercy. Jesus said to St. Faustine in the 1930s last century, Mankind will not have peace until it turns with trust to my merciful love. This Sunday, Jesus gives us that merciful love to train us to love like him and to enter his kingdom of peace, one 
by his loving death and resurrection. May you have a blessed week. Thank you, Father Landry, for another wonderful homily segment to set us up for this coming Sunday, giving us lots of food for thought. And what a wonderful hour that we just spent with Father Benedict, the three of us who hold him as a friend, but also admire his work very much for the, the sacrifice that the sacrifices he has, made, he has made, the good work that he's doing, and the, he's put himself in danger to really be present to the persecuted Christians in the Middle East. Such such an incredible inspiration. He was just an ordinary parish priest in Stowe, Vermont, but felt this call, and he was faithful and obedient enough to follow it. It's amazing. Well, what I love most about uh, what he brings to the conversation is the stories of the real people, the people that we can't forget, the people like Joanna and um, Johanna and the 80-year-old woman <laughs> It is. Who wouldn't leave um, and really made me think, would, would I be so brave? And I'm not sure I would. And boy, I really need to pray for her to be merciful. <laughs> right. But also, you know, to be strong in her faith and, and to keep, keep um, her presence. Because if she leaves and all of the other Christians leave, we're losing, we're taking the baby out of the cradle of Christianity. We're taking the Christians out of out of its cradle. Right, and, and it's easy It's easy to be horrified by these stories, but it's also easy to feel sort of powerless. It's happening on the other side of the world. What can I do? But his charity is on the ground, helping real people. Yeah. I loved his story about just the taxi cab. I know. Mm-hmm. Um, There's so nothing more important to a man, than a father and a husband, than to be able to provide for his children. And, if, and that has to be given no, to each person and as, as they need it. Well, and, and the amount that they need to start and rebuild is nothing. That's right. Nothing to us, right? Anyway, thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Conversations with Consequences, a service of the Catholic Association. I'm your host, Gracie Christie, joined today in studio by my colleagues Maureen Ferguson and Andrea Picciotti-Bayer and by dear Father Benedict Kiley. Um, Do check out his wonderful Uh, charity nazarene.org that's nazarene with an s thank you and we'll see you next week to subscribe to the podcast and the media clips go to thecatholicassociation.org.